Leadership File on Premiere. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by the Reverend John Fisher, who is Patronage Secretary for CPAS. John served in student ministry in the South West, which was followed by a call to ordain ministry in the Church of England. He trained at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, and served in a curacy in Essex and 11 years as vicar in Nottingham before joining CPAS in 2009. CPAS is the Anglican Church's largest evangelical mission agency, with a patronage of over 500 parishes covering every English diocese. So, John, welcome to Leadership File. Andy, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And um, uh, listeners won't know, but we've uh, it's our first meeting for about 30 years yeah, or so. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we both served in UCCF together. So, so fantastic to see you again. Um, so great to have you on the show. Maybe unpack a little of the language I used in the introduction. Not everyone... We know what CPAS stands for and what a patronage secretary does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, CPAS, the Church Pastoral Aid Society, um, we're a long-established charity within the Church of England. We're part of the Church of England, but we don't. Uh, we, we do work with other denominations and churches. Um, we've been around since 1836 and were founded by Lord Shaftesbury, one of the great evangelical social reformers. And the reason the charity was founded was to help support parishes and the Church of England at that time in the rapidly expanding cities and urban areas to support the work of parochial ministry. So we exist to help parish churches do their work of bringing the gospel to every person's door. And that was the strapline in 1836 and remains our strapline now. Obviously in those many years things have changed and altered but the focus of what we do now is work with children uh, on our ventures and falcon camp holidays for young people and then secondly we do a lot of leadership training within the church of england and churches generally and that's helping laity and ministers understand how to lead well and use their gifts well for the sake of the kingdom and then thirdly we do this thing which i'm involved in which is called patronage which is about appointing vicars and we have the right to appoint or be involved in the appointment of vicars in 529 churches in the wow. Church of England now. Okay, fantastic. And the Growing Leaders course, of course, comes out of CPS. We featured it on the show. That's you know, right. Fantastic. That's right. We have courses like Growing Leaders. We have other courses like the Arrow course for clergy to help them in their ministry. Uh, and many other uh, facilities and resources. We're involved in mentoring. We're involved in helping parochial church councils and how they lead their individual parishes, that sort of thing. Okay. And so, um, you know, for, for non-Anglicans, uh, they're probably thinking, well, hang on, a bishop is involved in the appointment of a, of a vicar. Yeah. Uh, so how, how does CPS have a role in that? Um, it, it it's, uh, because the Church of England is the established church of the land, it's, it, obviously it's part of the fabric of the country. And the roots of patronage go right back in history with the um, sovereign and the, the sort of system of government within the country. But basically, um, it, the patron is the person who has to find, source or secure the person to become a new vicar of a parish. Now, obviously, nowadays, you don't do that in isolation. You do it in collaboration. 
and my role is to collaborate with the bishop and diocese where the parish is situated and also with the representatives of the parochial church council which is the um, the leadership body of the local church and they have a role obviously in discerning who is to become the next vicar of a parish so we will all work together and if you think of the analogy of a three-legged stool it brings stability, it brings counterpoint, it brings um, natural check and balance on the appointment process. And we all work together to try and discern together who's called to be the next vicar of the place. I see. Uh, and, and the challenges for you as you've, you know, you've been a patronage secretary for quite yeah, a while? Um, the challenges are, uh, obviously the country has changed and the attitudes within the country to, to Christian faith are very much more um, different than they were hundreds of years ago um, we're in a pluralist and secular society but the, the thing that militates me uh, uh, with appointments work is there, sh there just aren't enough clergy so there's if you think I'm 55 this year the number of Church of England clergy has over halved in my lifetime and that's a very big change structural change for a church like the Church of England to cope with and deal with so it, it can take a time to find a church and I've got several churches at the moment where we've held interview processes once if not twice maybe the third time and we still haven't found the right person to be a vicar. Okay uh, and obviously uh, within that time some churches have closed so there have been churches that for various reasons you know population has shifted you know they're now buildings that have been transformed yeah. into something else but nevertheless you're saying there's still a, a, a gap. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think there are around about, um, it's around about 8,000 full-time paid clergy in the Church of England. Uh, after the Third World War, it was, uh, First World War, it was in the thousands, uh, mm. sort of 16, 17,000, okay. I think. So, you know, that's why it's such a huge change. Um, parishes have amalgamated. So, for example, if you think where I used to serve in Nottinghamshire, I was vicar of three churches, three small village communities just to the east of Nottingham. Uh, now there are parishes and groups of parishes in Lincolnshire where the minister would be looking after, sometimes in double figures, the number oh, of gracious. churches they're looking after. And uh, they almost become mini bishops in their own right okay. over, with an oversight of a, a group of churches. Mm. And that... that becomes very different how you operate as a vicar to being a single vicar with a single church uh, in, a, in a single place, as it were. Okay. So, I mean, this is a big question, but um, mm. <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. What did you learn mm. about leadership from time serving in, in student work, as mm -hmm. we both did, mm -hmm. uh, but also in Essex as a curate and also 11 years in Nottingham? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, you and I both served in the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, and one of the great tenets of UCCF was that students do the work of leading uh, the, the student groups, the Christian unions in that environment. And I think one of the, the great things I learned was not only about my own self-knowledge, my own self-management, managing my diary and managing my time well, um, but it was not taking over leadership from other people. It was helping other people grow in their own gifts of leadership and learn uh, without fear of great sanction from making mistakes. And that, that was the great thing that I learned um, with UCCF, and I suspect you did too. Um, when you come into training, I, I, I served as a curate in, in an Anglican parish in a place called Rayleigh, um, between Basel and the South End on the Thames Corridor. 
And that was a very complex, large church. It was a dynamic of three different worshipping congregations, um, very large population. And you had all the complexities of, of a large church uh, organisation, large church structure, uh, paid staff, lots of volunteers, and how you manage a system like that, and just learning the ropes, working with volunteers and how you help volunteers keep that work-life balance but also contributing to the life of the church in very busy people who are time poor. And then obviously in Nottingham, when I became a vicar, that's when the buck stops with you. You are in the leadership role and you have you still have much to learn about handling change well with people, not going too fast but not going too slowly, having a purposeful direction with your lay leaders who are working with you and I, I think many clergy we learn that art of working with people you you're not in charge but you are in charge but you have to facilitate the discernment of direction and vision for a church so that mm. the church community is purposely growing and going somewhere yeah I, I was going to ask the question you know, has the role of vicar changed but I suppose the better question might be as you look around the different kinds of parishes there are, mm. presumably the kind of vicar that's required in each will will be yeah. a, there'll be a, 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 a broad spread of, yeah. of, of needs. I, I mean, I think the role of vicar has changed. If you think of the old pastoral model, mm. sort of came out of that great poet George Herbert, where you had a very pastoral model of the vicar in the church ministering to the people of the community. And everybody knew who the vicar was. The vicar probably knew who they were. Um, it's just impossible for most vicars to have that sort of relationship nowadays uh, in their communities. Commun the population of the country is much bigger. The communities are much bigger. Um, there are less vicars, though, and they're relating to more communities. So if you think of a rural situation, you may have five or six different village communities that you're relating to larger churches you may have over 200 people in church on a Sunday and you may have community ministry out there bringing the love of God and the presence of Christ to the wider community so the way a vicar uses his time has got to be much more carefully nurtured and monitored I think and it's got to be used purposefully that's not to say that pastoral work is not important of course it is but equally uh, lay people do a lot of pastoral work amongst mm. themselves. Ordinary people in the life of the church are ministering every day to each other. So how do you want to use your main resource is a good question mm. to ask of all ministers, I think, so that the minister is, is used wisely, wisely and purposefully. And so a, a vicar might conclude that spending 10, 15 hours on a sermon is ministering to 200 people at once as opposed to lots of one-on-ones. Yeah, on that, that's that, been the that, argument. Yeah, that, that could be, although uh, many churches will say, well, we don't want our minister to be buried <laughs> in the study all week. Um, yes. I think it's a balance, isn't it? Um, you've got to allow an individual minister to work to their gifts and skills, mm. and some people are very good at teaching, leading. Other people are very good at being advocates in the community and, and, and on the edge ministry with quite disadvantaged and needy situations. I can think of some of our town centre churches where there's enormous work being done with food banks and with the homeless and these sorts of things. And that's so important and you want people to grow those connections mm. with community. 
uh, where there are gaps in what society offers nowadays. Okay. We're listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by the Reverend John Fisher. Uh, John is the Patronage Secretary for CPAAS, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Reverend John Fisher. John is the Patronage Secretary for CPAS. He was uh, formerly served uh, in uh, Curacy in Essex and 11 years as vicar in Nottingham. Now uh, working with uh, 500 plus uh, parishes covering every English diocese, helping to uh, ensure that, uh, that, that the churches are well served with their uh, with their staff. So moving on a little bit to um, to that, what what kind of factors might affect a fit uh, for a vicar I mean obviously there's the theological views and we know that Church of England is a broad church uh, in terms of you yeah, know yeah. different different uh, theological uh, preferences and so you know uh, a particular star may not work in a particular parish but what, what would be the other kind of things you need to think of in terms of a fit yeah. I mean the, the the first thing to say about a vicar is that every parish wants a vicar who uh, has a godly Christian character and, 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 and is somebody who wants to communicate the love of God to the people that they serve. So, I mean, the first thing you're looking for in any person is, is the character. What's the shape of the character and what makes them tick as, as a person and as a person of faith, a follower of Jesus? So that's, that's the first thing. Then every parish nowadays will have to write a role description for their vicar and a person specification. And this is where you get into the, the nature of different churches. So think of my villages in Nottinghamshire. We had a membership of around about 165 across the three communities. I probably knew all people who were members of the church. They knew me. I could pastor to them. My role was to be known in the villages, work with the parish council rather than the parochial church council, work with the other churches in the community. And that's quite a tight unit. So you want somebody who is relationally very good. You want somebody that can relate to people outside of the church and, and communicate uh, with all people, no matter what they think about Christian faith, actually. So, you, you know, you, you'll, be, you'll be all things to all people in those sorts of communities, as well as doing your ordinary nuts and bolts, Sunday school work, work with young people and that, that sort of thing in the church. But then if you go larger, if you think of a church that's over 200, suddenly you're thinking about a church which is drawing teams together. And you may need a very different skill set with that sort of size church because as a vicar, you can't do everything. You can't be in two places at once, not even vicars are magicians um, <laughs> in that sense. So uh, there you're getting into a bit more of a programme church where as a vicar you've got to work with, you've got to find people, you've got to have teams. Then there are churches that are bigger than that again. Uh, you know, if you think of some churches are over 500 people regularly and there you're going to be leading through people and you, as a vicar you're going to relate to a much closer team of leaders that you operate your leadership through and therefore you need to appoint staff, paid staff, uh, you've got oversight responsibility with staff. So there's a whole different set of skill set which almost becomes corporate church if I can use that. Mm. And that's quite a different skill set to that initial pastoral situation which I talked about earlier. And we're all different, we all have different skills and we've got to know our skills and know ourselves well as to where we will best fit and mm -hmm. serve the Lord best. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, working for CWRs I do um, 
occasionally we'll have people on pastoral care courses that I run and they say, oh, my vicar, my vicar sent me because um, he's not very good with people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which sounds like an odd thing to say, but at least he's <coughs> recognised maybe those are not his strengths. Maybe he's a good, yeah. strong leader, manager, maybe a good preacher, but, but the one-on-one things. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, I, I can think of stories where you go to, there's been a vacancy has come up in a parish and you're, you're meeting with the parochial church council to ask them what they think they would like in a new incumbency. And they reflect back to you and some of them will say, well, I never darkened the door of the vicarage in the sense that they never attended meetings or were invited in on a relational basis for a, a supper party or something like that. And uh, clergy are all different. They're human beings, just as everybody else are. They have their gifts, they have their skills. Some are good at relating with people. Some are very good at reflective work. Some are extroverts and just want to be out there doing, 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 but are not very good at the administration. Mm. <laughs> and that can cause frustration when paperwork has to be done and, and, mm. and you know or ordinary simple nuts and bolts organisation has to be done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given the complexities of, of, of people and the needs, I mean, are, are psychometric tests that are, are sometimes used in industry yeah, yeah. things that are... That's a really interesting one, Andy. Um, in some of the appointments that I've done, we have used psychometric tests. Mm. Um, it More often, uh, that would be where a test, say a clergy person that's applying for the role or being shortlisted, would be asked to do a little skills audit or something on a, on a computer programme. And it's you when we do use that is usually when we've got somebody in the congregation who's got expertise and access to set it up and also interpret the results for the appointing panel well and also be able to feed back to the candidates what the results were. Because I, I think psychometric tests have to be used wisely and well and by people who are appropriately trained and know what they're doing. They can be a little bit expensive as well, and um, it's not something that we use normally, but if we've got access to it okay. and the parish want to, we will. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, I mean, without divulging locations, can you share stories of, of people where the fit was perhaps better than expected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, interestingly, I can think of one of my first appointments, which was in a large town fairly near London, um, where... The appointment process was really quite tricky because the last incumbency had not been successful. There had been staff who'd been laid off in very unhappy fashion. And you you go into some situations where you know there's conflict and conflict has not been handled well. And we weren't sure in a part an appointment that we made to that particular place, but it has absolutely flown because the person concerned has got the character but they've got the competence and the ability, but also they had that sense of call to help a church through a time of healing, but then find its raison d'etre, its reason for being in a town centre and what it offered in ministry to that town centre civic role. Wonderful. No, it's good, good to hear. And obviously there have been occasions where things haven't worked as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are the ways around that when it's either not been a good fit yeah. often is it getting other staff alongside or yeah I mean it is sad I mean I've been in my role for mm. six years now and I'm beginning to see the same churches having to do the same appointment process but for the second time round yes. because of previous appointment for various reasons hasn't worked out and it, when it's a short incumbency what say one or two years it may be personal circumstances that are a reason that the person's got to move. Sometimes it's because that appointment just has not worked. And it's always very painful for both the church and the individual when that happens, Andy. 
And I think it's important when that happens to have reflection on why, what's gone wrong. Was there a mismatch? Was it that the person just did not fit the parish? Was it that the paperwork in the first place wasn't 100% true or, or um, right? And does that need to be reflected upon? I always say to churches, don't run too fast to appoint a new six, uh, vicar. You have to reflect well, discern what you need in the next vicar and articulate that well on paper. And then hopefully the appointing panel, those three legs of the stool that I referred to earlier in the interview of bishop, patron and parish, hopefully they will work together and discern really well who's called to be the next vicar of that right, parish. Right. Um, and you, you talked earlier about the the need for uh, you know for some folk to have a kind of management of staff perspective on things, mm. and I'm just I'm wondering whether how easy it is for someone say who's in in a church because typically people go from a, a smaller church to a larger church mm. that kind of mm. tends to be the the way things function. Um, you rarely get people going from say a a church of four or five hundred back down to 120 i mean it may happen but it seems to be rare so are there could could someone who's more pastoral and used to maybe a smaller church learn the skills of a larger have you seen that happen yeah, yeah. yes i think it is perfectly possible to do so i mean for example when a person's ordained sometimes they've been a member of a larger church mm. as they go through the ordination training and come out and become a vicar and they might serve in a smaller setup but they've got that previous experience of a larger church set up. You have to remember that lots of vicars have got previous life experience in another career. Some of mm. them are coming from very significant careers in a, whatever professional discipline they, they came from. And, and say, for example, have line managed lots of staff. And the transferable skills that come with that yeah. are significant. Um, so I, I, I think you, it, it's what's right for the person. And when, when a person applies for a post, they have to demonstrate on their application with their references and all the things we do at appointment time that they've got the competency and the skills to line manage staff in a larger setup to set strategic vision direction and working to the delivery of that vision uh, and and that's all tested at the interview process you hope and i think it's perfectly possible to learn the nuts and bolts in a smaller setting and step up i know some colleagues would probably disagree with me but I think every case is different, to be honest, and every person, every minister, every um, male minister, every female minister is different in, in how they operate. And, you, yeah. you know, it's a judgment call at the end of the day. Sure. And in these days of, of mentoring, coaching, mm. etc., mm. there's, I'm sure, possibilities for people to be helped mm. through that process with yeah. external. The other thing to realise is that dioceses nowadays do offer lots of support and training for their clergy and I'm sure it's the same in the independent churches. So if things need to be put in place mm. to um, compensate for a skills gap in a person, it can be done. I think the most important thing at any appointment time is the character of the person because usually skills and competencies can be taught so, so long as a person is open to being taught and open to lifelong learning. Sure, well, that sounds terrific. Well, a time has almost escaped us, but I mean, your, your, your challenges going forward? Are you, the challenges are lots of vacancies beca yeah. because we um, have 529 places where mm. we have some mm. responsibility and role in the appointment process. 
at any one time, we're now handling around about 90, 95 vacancies. Wow. That's about a fifth of the portfolio. And there are lots of reasons for that. So I now have a new member of staff that is working with me in CPS to do some of the work. I have a full-time PA there. So we're a complex uh, little mm. area of work within, within CPS, somewhat unseen. But I love the job. I love getting to know different parishes and what their needs and aspirations and hopes under God are. And then when you bring a clergy person that's looking for a new role and the appointment is right under the call of the Holy Spirit of God and it works well, it's a marvellous thing to see a church grow and fly and see people learn and develop their gifts under God for the kingdom of God. Fabulous. Well, thank you, John, for, for sharing. It's a great pleasure to shared. be here, Andy. And uh, thank you for listening. Do uh, log on to Premier's website. You can live. Uh, you can listen to archive versions of Leadership File. Go to the Leadership File podcast, get it downloaded to your listening device, and uh, you can listen at your, at your leisure. So my thanks to John Fisher, and uh, my thanks to you. And uh, join us again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. Thank you.